Sinister Myth, How Stories We Tell Perpetuate Violence. This podcast challenges cultural mythologies about sexuality in the West, because so often they encourage, perpetuate, or foster violences against women and minorities. It is supported by an Ohio State Affordable Learning Exchange grant and is created by Zoe Brigley-Thompson and Brendan Walsh. Sinister Myth is produced by Alex Hameter, Deborah Eschen, Paul Kotheimer, and Mackenzie Warren. All opinions expressed are solely those of Sinister Myth producers and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of The Ohio State University. So my name is Sharita Roundtree, and I'm an assistant professor of English at Towson University in Towson, Maryland. And my research explores approaches for developing diverse representation and equitable access for students, teachers, and scholars who write in, instruct in, and theorize about writing classrooms. So for me, my research primarily lies at the intersections of composition studies, Black feminist theories and pedagogies, community literacy, and writing program administration. So I was very excited to hear about your research, which has centered quite a bit on Black women graduate teaching instructors. And the first question I wanted to ask you was really, what have you learned about university spaces through exploring this particular experience? The phrase, making a way out of no way, I think is still prevailing and prevalent, especially Mm -hmm. among my participants. Um, A lot of them describe how they create and cultivate spaces both within the university and outside of the university as a means of survival and sustaining themselves uh, through their graduate programs. This can manifest via like black graduate student uh, groups that take graduate students from across disciplines of the university to get the type of support they need both in the classroom Mm -hmm. and um, outside of the classroom. Many of them have talked about turning to the community and creating networks of support at community centers that focus on the complexity of their identity. So thinking about LGBTQIA centers and uh, developing reading groups and poetry groups um, as a way of creating Uh, the type of support that they need. They also talked about turning to their families as a way of navigating microaggressions and uh, instances of racism Mm -hmm. in the university because they didn't have those types of support in their departments or even uh, among their advisors or staff or administrators that were present. So it's kind of like this DIY piecemeal putting together systems and networks of support as a way of just surviving and making it through their requirements, right, that they're expected to teach as Mm. graduate teaching assistants. Right. And it's interesting how very often in some courses of the media, the university is characterized as this sort of safe space, right? But I think Mm. that something that you found is that that kind of portrait of the university is not necessarily what it actually is. To some degree, that is true. But it's saying like, safe for whom? Because for some people, the university is a safe space. But for most, and especially the participants that I um, write on behalf of and write with and write for, my black women uh, graduate teaching assistants, I don't think that's at all the case. So many of them talk about how even in their graduate teaching classrooms where they're being trained to teach these first year writing courses, they are still acting as teacher in many ways because the curriculum isn't identifying 
uh, or supporting issues around like resistance in the classroom or when students are challenging your identities or treating you differently because of the identities that you hold. And so when their white peers ask them uh, to talk to them about race and how they're navigating race in the classroom with their students, Black women GTAs often have to take on that responsibility whether or not they actually want to because it's Mm -hmm. not already a part of the curriculum and it's not accounted for in the design of the system of the writing programs. So I think that there is a level of comfort and safety net for certain identities and for certain communities within the institution. But I think that for the most part, those who are already marginalized and those who are already written out of the system or the system didn't account for at the beginning are not afforded the same safety. Mm, Thank you. Thanks. And in relation to this, you have been working on pedagogy and I wondered if we could talk about noise, this idea of noise in the higher education institution. And I wondered if you could talk to us about what this idea of noise means and how does higher education displace it? For me, the way that I approach noise is directly developing out of Trisha Rose's book, Black Noise, where she talks mm-hmm. about our contemporary rap in uh, Black America and how this approach to noise looks at the relationship between community and practice. So she talks about Black cultural signs and codes in Black culture. And so for my definition and how I mobilize noise, particularly by Black women, I'm looking at multivocal representations of belonging. And so I'm recognizing how these multivocal representations of belonging challenge legacies of mislabeling and dehumanizing and silencing among Black women GTAs and their bodies. So thinking about Mm -hmm. how this recognition of how they uh, articulate themselves and their presence in these institutions that are often weren't accounting for them in the beginning when they were constructed and still aren't accounting for them now, how they cultivate space via their noise. Thank you. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So how does that manifest itself in the classroom? It's thinking about how their identities and their approaches are or are not accounted for in the standardized approaches that they're expected to use. So many of them have a standard syllabi that they have to implement Mm -hmm. that are pre-constructed as if the teacher is neutral or as if the students are neutral, Mm -hmm. right? Often neutral means white middle class, often male students. And so it doesn't account for how certain approaches or certain conversations are going to be received differently from different instructors. And so Black women GTAs are talk about how they use uh, approaches that are kind of on the edge of implementing very, you know, risky conversations mm-hmm. in the quote unquote risky, but also recognizing that this might be reflected in their teaching evaluations. And so... Right. Many of my GTAs are talking about, well, I just talk about race explicitly. I talk about the political issues that are currently happening, bringing in current events, looking at different protests, materials, bringing in conversations around intersectionality, bringing in texts that might seem like they're challenging for the level of writing that students are in, but working through and acknowledging that this work has to happen and that it's a necessary part of writing curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so I think in the ways that we think about what the mainstream approaches are to writing or instruction or what is kind of seen as the ideal of uh, expectations of the university classroom, 
Black Women GTA's implementation of noise is actively countering that and disrupting that. So it can they can create space both for themselves and recognition of themselves, but also for their students who are often silenced in those classrooms. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much. And I wanted to ask you two about the separation that sometimes happens in academic teaching between the personal and the academic. And I'm really interested in how we might break down the separation between these two things. And I wonder how that might work in the classroom as well. I think to actively and successfully separate the personal and the academic is a type of privilege Mm. and a type of perpetuation of whiteness in ways that many folks in the university aren't able to do, Mm. right? I walk into the classroom, if I'm just like, okay, I want to be as neutral, (laughs) quote unquote, Mm. neutral as possible, students are already reading my body and making assumptions about what it like what my instruction then means, right? So if I make any mention of race in the classroom, it often then reflects in, well, all she talks about is race. She's trying to push mm-hmm. her agenda, right? I've had conversations with many of my uh, friends and colleagues, varying identities and uh, varying experiences. And so many of us teach similar curriculum, many of us take up similar issues, but we've had very different responses from students. Mm-hmm. Even now, it's interesting because I was talking to you about the student conferences I was having, and some of my students, well, many of my students feel very, I, I think, feel comfortable with me. And some of them have told me that their friends in the classroom, like, well, so-and-so is so afraid of you. And I just don't understand why. Like, I tell them that mm. you're so nice. And I'm just like, well, I can tell you why they think that. Right. <laughs> um, mm. And so this has not just been at this institution. I have encountered this at every institution, every semester that I have taught. I've had at least one or more student make some mention of being afraid to talk to me. And I am very um, informal and welcoming um, and very supportive. But it never the narrative around me being scary or me being intimidating is often tied to these assumptions that are read onto my body. So that's why I think that um, this idea of separating the personal and the academic, even if someone is actively trying to do it, certain identities just aren't afforded that opportunity. And an additional thing I'll say um, about that is that sometimes it is to actively be able to create space and survive and sustain oneself in the institution, you have no choice but to bring your full self into a space. What I have experienced and what I have tried to do, because I have been in the space where I felt like I had to separate my personal and my academic, Mm -hmm. and I lost a great deal of time and effort just trying to navigate what that looks like, because it never articulated itself successfully in those spaces. Even though in my mind I was trying to do it, and in my practice I was trying to do it, but the the structures around me and the perceptions around me and the practices that I was navigating and working within would not allow for that to happen. Wow, yeah, that, that's really so important to hear about what that experience is like in the classroom. And I wonder as well if you think that it's actually helpful in terms of teaching strategy to make the students aware of the presence of the personal at the university and in university spaces and how that might help the learning process actually. Yeah it's so funny that you asked that I don't even know if you know this but so with this semester 
the way that I've been, and I'm teaching all first year writing courses right now um, mm-hmm. because I've been hired as a compositionist and composition studies. And so the way that we started out the semester was with a critical storying assignment. And so what this basically means is that it's developing out of some educational research, but also black feminist research that talks about how we prioritize storytelling and narrative and um, recognizing the experience and expertise beyond just this formalized approach that we often see in the university. So I asked my students to think about a memory or a series of memories they had in relationship to uh, experiencing, seeing, or using a variety of English. So Black English, Spanglish, Appalachian English. We talk about how standard American English within the United States is often privileged or within the university. Mm-hmm. And so what that then means for students whose identities are so often tied to their cultural practices, which are often tied to their language practices. And so how those spaces are or are not accounting for their experiences. Throughout the semester, we then develop that critical storing where we think about, okay, how can then we identify the claims or uh, central points or the the things that are significant beyond it just being our individual story to connecting beyond ourselves. So by the end of the semester, what my students uh, are working on now and will submit is analysis of their storing, their individual experience around uh, a representation of English and how other scholars define broadly. So both community scholars thinking about scholars who are coming from academic journals, thinking about the expertise that we see um, on the internet, so social media sometimes, and kind of demystifying where we get this understanding of expertise, whose stories are being valued, and how we can think about our experiences in relationship to one another. It sounds wonderful. sounds absolutely wonderful. And I wanted to ask you too, if there were a few things that you would really want instructors to start changing right now in the way that they approach the classroom to resist some of these things that we've talked about like you know not recognizing the presence of the personal in the room or not being aware of of how different the experience is for different people at the university if there were a couple of things that you'd like instructors to start doing I wonder what they would be I think for me, I can talk about the practices that I use and I can talk about some of the things that I've recognized from my research. But in every class that I've ever taught, I've implemented and incorporated writing groups. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, writing groups aren't simply thinking about, okay, well, you peer review each other's work and then that's kind of the end of it. And so you just have a consistent person that's peer reviewing. But it's thinking about the types of knowledge sharing and community building. And so knowledge sharing, I'm I'm thinking in relationship to Beverly Moss's uh, shared knowledge that comes out of her research. And she talks about this in relationship to the black church. So I've taken that and thought about what that then means in practice in the classroom and how we can create a type of shared knowledge that isn't just tied to cultural and ethnic backgrounds, but developing a shared knowledge of the classroom and the practices that we're using. So 
so it's it's quite different than her approach. I try to think about the implications of it in the classroom. And so with these writing groups, my students early on, I do a lot of community building activities where it's not always tied to, okay, what does this look like in writing? But for them to just recognize that they are individuals and they are people in the classroom who are bringing a whole background of expertise and understandings and experiences um, that they can cultivate and utilize and implement in the classroom. And so especially with first year writers, I think it takes a lot for them to feel comfortable. One, they're trying to get adjusted to the university space, but also just they're in a room of strangers and they're often writing about things that make them feel like they're exposed or vulnerable because that's just Mm. an aspect of writing. And so through these writing groups, my students are actively doing uh, in-class exercises together. They are doing work as far as like creating uh, collaborative annotated bibliographies. They're having conversations around the development of their individual projects. And so they get to know each other very well. Um, they, They also get to know the others in the classroom, but especially in their writing groups to the point that Many of them are have become friends outside of the classroom. They communicate outside of the classroom. They support each other. Sometimes they meet up. And this is things that they've reported to me. Um, and so I think if we recognize that students aren't just showing up in the classroom, they need to just learn what the curriculum is and then leave, like that they are whole people, that we have to recognize the complexity of that and then find ways to support that, their writing will benefit from those processes. Another approach that I use in the classroom is just creating as many collaborative opportunities as possible. All of the assignments I currently have, like major writing assignments, are individual assignments, but community beyond the writing groups is still central. So I mentioned the annot- or collaborative annotated bibliography. And so when students created their individual annotations and annotated bibliographies, we then worked together as a class to them create a collective annotated bibliography that they can then reference if they need to find additional sources for this final paper, see what other people are researching about, be able to identify the key words and themes and tag those annotated bibliographies. And so it creates this collective resource for the classroom that is not built by me or assigned by me, but built by them. We also have a collaborative note-taking that comes from Allison Hitz. She talked about the importance of having a collaborative note-taking practice because it gives students the opportunity to reference the content of the classroom beyond just their own notes or if they happen to miss class, but it's an additional level of support, but also access for the variety of learning styles and abilities and needs that are present in those classrooms. I love this idea of sort of taking that kind of group spirit right through the course from the beginning to end. I know that you've also done writing groups uh, as kind of outreach work in the community as well. I wondered if that was a different experience or if you learned different things from from doing that outside of the university. I would say my experience working in the community informed the approaches I now use in the Mm. university. Right. So when I taught a course at Ohio State, Literacy Narratives of Black Columbus, it was a second level writing course that had a service learning component, which basically meant students were conducting research and collecting literacy narratives from community members in the surrounding community of Ohio State. I knew I was going to teach that course, but I didn't necessarily know the exact approach I was going to use or how I was going to create connections to the community. And so when I was 
volunteering and doing this after school program with kids at the local library, I noticed many of them were very interested in the arts or like creating things or like just working with their hands and thinking about that in relationship to literacy. And so from my experience working with them, seeing how they were interacting and engaging with one another and also supporting each other as they were creating these things, it was just interesting how excited they would get about the content. And so that then caused me to think about the intersections of literacy and the arts, which then informed the theme that I chose for that course, which was literacy narrated as a Black uh, visual artist in Columbus. And then also dictated the type of content that I brought into the classroom, thinking about the varieties of art and also how we then privilege certain types of art. And it's all stemmed just from watching the kids just be like themselves. So it informed both the content and some of the approaches and practices I brought in as far as how we recognize expertise in the classroom. So that also manifests itself now with the work that I'm doing with the critical story and uh, students recognize their own personal and relationship to the academic by demystifying or challenging how we define expertise in the university. Wonderful, thank you. Sounds like great work, sounds really great. And I wanted to just finish off with a question which is going back to thinking about noise. And the question is, how does noise pedagogy ultimately speak back to the higher education institution and what does it demand of it? I think it speaks back to it because the the way the institution is set up now is inherently to silence, I think. I think it was built on uh, approaches and practices of silencing and neutralizing things that um, seem like a, a threat or a risk to those hierarchies or those types of gatekeeping. And so with pedagogies of noise or pedagogical approaches to noise, it's making this much more on the ground, grassroots type of a uh, recognition. So it's not living in the theory or calling it out through like, you know, rhetorical approaches, but it's actively thinking about equipping students with the tools to also do this work. And so I think by Black Women GTAs, implementation of noise pedagogies or just um, anyone's implementation of noise pedagogies. It's not just existing within their teaching instruction, but now it's being received by their students and their students are then beginning to mobilize those in spaces beyond those individual writing classrooms. It might be in their history classrooms. They feel like they or they should, at least the way that I approach it and the way that I talk about it is that Students need to be um, given the tools, but also these tools need to be discussed transparently and need to be discussed in, in ways that allow students to make active decisions about when and where they will implement those tools. It's really enlivening hearing you talk about this. And there was a book that came out in the UK just like last year called What, what is the University For? And it was this radical reimagining of trying to think, you know, if we could just tear down the university and start again, what would we do? And it was mm. really fascinating. So it was things like there'd be no fees, that, you know, you could come to university at any point in your life and you could do things very differently and that 
there were all kinds of interesting ideas they had. And a lot of what they were basing that off of was thinking about adult education, which I found quite interesting, which in the UK had its origins in reading circles in the labour movement and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating hearing you talking about the ideas and, and things that are coming through in your research and how it comes from different practices in the community or from the black church, you know, alternative ways of thinking about it. So I'm, I'm going to follow you for sure and keep an eye on what you're doing. And, you know, I, I just love to see what, what else you come up with. Definitely. Well, thank you. I mean, but I appreciate that. No, I really- <laughs> it's really important. It's really important. I think that it can make such a difference to people's experiences as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity.